Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach. I'm excited about another episode of our podcast. We started this podcast over a year ago with the purpose of sharing local stories of faith in sports. And today, you're going to hear from a a true man of faith, a man with a lot of passion and enthusiasm for life, for Jesus, for making him known, Coach Willie Spears. Coach Spears is currently the athletic director and head football coach, Bullock County, Alabama, in a small town, Union Springs, Alabama. He's an author, he's a speaker, but most of all, it's a strong man of God. He's married, they have two kids, Taylor and Kenneth. I cannot wait for you to hear from Willie, so without further delay, let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach Spears. Well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, Stu, I'm looking forward to this. And any time that you can put faith and sports together, I think you got something special. Amen. So let's start off with a little bit of background. I know there's a lot of listeners that may not be familiar with you. So, you know, just talk a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, a little bit about your family and uh, what you're doing now. Well, I was born and raised in Panama City, Florida. Uh, I'm an only child, graduated high school in 1996. Uh, one of my best friends, a girl named Tanika Bland, became my wife uh, about, I guess, probably 15 years after graduation. And um, she's an only child as well. I grew up playing all kinds of sports, uh, like a lot of young men, and um, knew I wanted to get into something that do entertainment. I was in TV productions and all those kind of things growing up. Uh, was Grew up in the church. Can't remember a Sunday not being in church. I uh, can't remember a Wednesday night, to be honest with you, not being in church. And so I was always in church and um, when I got older, I went to high school at Rutherford High School, a guy named Kirk Harrell. He was over our Fellowship of Christian Athletes, mm. and, and uh, all of us went for the hot dogs. We would go because they had hot dogs <laughs> and FCA. So we were like, I'm hungry. I'm going in there to eat. And they can preach it. We'll do whatever they want to do, but I want to eat. So um, I, I kind of got involved, got my first taste of sports and faith uh, with that. And um, the last 17 years I've been coaching high school sports. Uh, I'm an athletic director now at Bullock County High School in Union Springs, Alabama, uh, and uh, really enjoy it. This is my sixth time being a head football coach. I coached a little college, coached at my alma mater, Northwest Oklahoma State, as a defensive coordinator for a brief stint. And then I coached at Florida A&M, uh, coached at linebackers and was a special teams coordinator there uh, for, for a small time in 2014. And so we've coached from a little league. My, my, my kids I have two children, Taylor and Kenneth. Um, their birthdays are uh, just happening. Uh, Taylor's 14, Kenneth is 13. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 15 years, and I coached their Little League basketball team. And so I've coached Little League all the way up through college and been very blessed. Played college ball at Northwest Oklahoma State University and uh, played a little arena football as well. So uh, just been around uh, sports for a long time and really have appreciated what, what God has done in my life through sports, and it's been pretty cool. Amen. So you mentioned uh, playing at Northwestern uh, Oklahoma State. So being from Panama City, Florida, how in the world did you end up at a small <laughs> school in, in, in Oklahoma? Well, uh, I don't know about you, but when, you, when I was in ninth and 10th grade, there was these guys I really looked up to. I wanted to be like them. I wanted to wear their number. I wanted to play receiver or defensive back like them. Well, one of those guys, it was three guys, one of them, well, three of them went to th- three different schools, and they ended up at Northwestern. Uh, two of them was in junior college, and one of them was at Bethune-Cookman. But uh, somehow, they ended up at Northwestern. And um, it's a guy named Garrett Higgins. He's the head coach at Emporia State now. He recruited junior colleges in Kansas. There's a guy named Marlon Phillips. He was at this junior college in Kansas. He was from Panama City. He was one of the top recruits in the country. Didn't qualify, so he went JUCO. 
He ended up at Northwestern for a lot of different reasons, circumstances, but they came home one spring break, and I learned this later. They were given 40 bucks each for each person that they could get to come to Northwestern. So they came to me like saying, man, you really got to go to Northwestern. And I, I didn't even know they knew who I was. Yeah. And I was like, wow, these guys are talking to me. They've been going out of high school three years, two or three years, and they come up to me, and I didn't qualify. My ACT score was too low. Uh, I had some interest from a few Division One schools, but I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And around August, I realized my best opportunity was Northwestern. I thought I would be out there for a year, then I would go somewhere else. And uh, I ended up staying and graduating and was a part of a 31-game uh, win streak in an NAIA national championship. And, and uh, it was really, really good for me. Uh, it was a perfect fit. Uh, God worked it out for me to be at the right place at the right time. And I really, really enjoyed my time at Northwestern. That's awesome. And then you mentioned um, earlier that you've been in coaching for a number of years. At what point did you decide to pursue that as your career? I... Um, I knew when I was a little kid, I wanted to coach. Mm. Never, never as a career though. I, like, I, I mean, I, I thought I was going to be in the NFL, and then you know, I'll volunteer and help some little league team or high school team out, you know. But I was um, playing arena ball. I was back home. I was substitute teaching and training, and my old wide receiver coach told me that he was going to be leaving. And he said, I'm leaving in August, but I can't tell anyone because I need insurance. Now, at the time of my early 20s, I don't understand what all that means. He said, I need my insurance because my insurance on my new job doesn't kick in until August. I got to stay here until August, so I'm going to leave right before the season starts. So you can get this job because we won't have time to get anybody else. And I'm like, why would I want to be a teacher? I don't even like teachers. So why would I want to? I mean, why would I want to coach? I don't want to do that. But I stuck around. I talked to the coach about it. Lo and behold, months later, it happened just like he said. My old high school coach called me. And he said, I'm going to give you two days to call me back. If I put this job out there, we'll have a lot of people call. Because at the time, Rutherford High School was a top five school in the state of Florida. Right. This is in the mid, uh, mid to late 90s. And uh, we were really, really good. And, um, and, and I didn't realize at the time, but it was truly an honor to be a part of that staff. So that kind of started it for me. And then I fell in love with it. Like, it gave me the same gratification as playing. Hmm. And I, I never saw it. And then what happened, I had two stud players. I'm talking studs. First team, All-State, wide receiver, 5A in Florida when 6A was the highest classification. And they both got in trouble. Uh, one uh, got arrested for attempted murder. And one got arrested for uh, being inappropriate with a young lady. Mm. And I was so convicted because I told them about football. I paid for them to take the ACT. I helped them sign up for it. I helped them in school. But I never, ever spoke to them about my faith. Wow. And, and so when they got in trouble, all of a sudden, I was over the top with my faith. I, I, went, I mean, the same night that one of them got arrested, I was right there in the county jail with Zach, and I was sharing my faith with him. And, and it was like God was saying, well, why are you doing this on the back end? You could have did this on the front end. Wow. And, and it was the same with Zedrick. And I just, it was so bad that the day that one of them got arrested, I was at school. When I heard about it, I couldn't talk. And I love to talk, if you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> but when I, when, I, when I went to speak to my class, I broke down crying. And I wiped my face and I tried to compose myself. But every time I would open my mouth, I couldn't. I kept crying. And I, I just, I didn't realize how important those young men were in my life. And I, I decided from that day forward, every young man that ever played for me as a position coach, a coordinator, or a head coach, or even athletic director, they're going to hear about Christ from me. And, uh, and that changed my way of looking at sports. And, and I, 
I really, really knew then I want to do this as a career because I can help so many young men and girls in so many areas. And, and so around 2001, 2002, I, I realized this is what God has called me to for this season of my life. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, man. It, it's, and I keep up with those guys to this day, uh, especially Zach. I haven't talked to Zedric in a while, but especially Zach. And I just, they don't, they know it now because I've told them, but they were the catalyst to the way that I coached. That's incredible. That just shows that God can use any any situation to get our attention, right? I agree. Amen. So you mentioned um, earlier that you're now at Bullock County um, as athletic director, head football coach, and um, that's been a, a challenge, to say the least. You, you didn't get hired until last summer, so no spring ball. You know, just had to jump into an offseason. Talk about um, that challenge of walking into Bullock County, um, kind of behind the behind the power curve there, starting so late in June, and then just some of the successes you've seen this season. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for knowing that you've done your research. I mean, I, I, Bullock County. I'm going to tell you this. This is going to blow your mind. Bullock County has never, ever, ever played in a playoff game. Wow. Like, you can't find a school that hasn't played in a playoff game. I mean, so so to be honest, that kind of lured me to the job. Like, I was like, wow. I mean, they've never – and it's not like Florida. Like, in Florida, it's changed now. But when I was in high school, only one team from each district went. Right. And then when I, when I started coaching, two teams went. Well, in Alabama and Georgia, the top four go. So how can you never make the playoff when the top four teams go? Right. You know, I'm, I just, it just blew my And then they hadn't won a, a homecoming game in 27 years. They haven't won a region game. They had the longest losing region streak in the state of Alabama with 59 losses. We looked it up. It said the longest winning, it showed that team, then the con- most consecutive wins, most consecutive losses was Bullock County. 59 consecutive conference losses. Wow. You know, and so it was a challenge. That's one of my weaknesses. I love a challenge. So it was a challenge. So then I get the job June 14th, and, 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 and the people in Texas are going to laugh at this. My The supplement for my coaches was $1,600. So they, they said I can hire two coaches, and I can pay them $1,600 each. And it, it, it was unbelievable. I'm like, well, no wonder y'all have never won. I mean, <laughs> y'all yeah. don't care. Y'all don't do, y'all don't, don't do anything to put forth the effort to do what it takes to win. So with that being said, we uh, got the job June 14th. Our first meeting we had, I think, 11 players. And um, I spoke with them. They told me, Coach, we didn't know we was going to have a team this year. You know, we didn't do spring ball. We haven't lifted weights. Uh, we haven't done anything since last football season. So, since the first week of November, the previous year, up until June 14th, they hadn't did one football-related drill. Wow. Uh, and uh, it was very tough. And so the first game of the season, we play a school called Real Town. I think they got one loss right now. They're in the second round of playoffs. They, they, I mean, they beat us second round. We're losing the region game to a kid, uh, an unbelievable athlete who's going to Georgia Tech. They beat us. And then we win our first region game. So the, 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 and people go crazy. We can't believe it. We beat a team that was pretty good. And then we went homecoming for the first time in 27 years. And then we beat our rival uh, for only the third time in school history. We're 3A, they're 5A. We beat them for only the third time in school history in double overtime. And unfortunately for our fans and players, 
it was like that was enough, dude. Like, you know what? We've done what nobody thought we could do. Why, why go to the playoffs? Like, why do any more? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was kind of – and the street committee, as I call it, they were telling us – guys, we good. like, we lost a game to a school called Pike Road. They were undefeated. We lost to them 28-31. We fumbled the ball twice in our own red zone. We, we, I mean, they played well, but we helped them. And I'm, I walked in Piggly Wiggly. A lady says, Coach, great job last night. I said, well, ma'am, I'm sorry. You must didn't hear. We lost. She said, yeah, I know, but we barely lost. Oh, wow. You know, I was like, what? And so I got that five, not exaggerate, five times that week. I got great job, coach. And I said, well, we lost, but y'all barely lost. So we had to change the mindset. We had to change the culture. We're still not there yet. We're, it's, it's a process. But we ended up being five and five. Uh, only the second time in school history, they've been 500. Two years before the school was called Bullock County High School, they did have a team that went nine and one, but they didn't go to the playoffs because back then only one team went. And uh, they lost to a 1A school that was a powerhouse. So they didn't get to go, but the school was called Union Springs High School back then. But since the school's been called Bullock County High School, 1973, I believe, or 74, uh, we we only the second team ever to go 500 and not have a losing season. And so we're looking forward to next year, even doing more things and doing better things. But it's been truly a blessing to be a part of the excitement of turning the program around. Are you seeing that the local, um, the players are buying into the the culture, trying to build a culture of winning? Yes, I have, uh, um, and, it's, and, it's, and it's contagious. They've done a good job with the youth program in the middle school over the last five years. It just hasn't uh, correlated to the high school yet, it, and, and this is the first year. The guy before me, I think he won two last year, but the year before that, he won three. So they was making steps because they went five years without winning a game. Wow. So they were, yeah, we were making strides, and now the season is over. We didn't make the playoffs, but the first Monday after the season was over, we got guys in the weight room lifting weights, and we don't start off season to December 3rd. But they were in there on their own. So they, they realized, you know, we let a few slip away. We lost one game by three. We lost another region game by one. You know, we win those two games. We're in the playoffs. And so uh, they, they realized we were so close. And it's, it's interesting to see the culture change and to see the, the young men mindset change from lovable losers, as, as the uh, president of our rec department says in town, to realizing, you know what, that we really can do this. We just need to put the work in. Wow. That, that's amazing to go from no offseason – to start in June 14th to as soon as the season's over, guys in the weight room. That Yeah, that's a testament to, to your leadership and your staff as well. And, Stu, they're mad at me right now because I'm in Florida and, 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 uh, for, the, for the holiday, and they're mad because I'm not opening the weight room this morning. I've gotten three text messages, two last night, one is one. So why are you not opening the weight room today, Coach? Wow. Yeah, hey. So I'm like, you'll take I'm those mad at myself. Yeah, you'll take those text messages all day, though, right? <laughs> no doubt. And I got a custodian going up to the school to open the weight room. That's awesome. Wow. Well, I want to shift a little bit to um, you've you've been on ESPN's first take with Stephen A. Smith before. Um, talk about that and, and what what exactly were you debating him? First of all, that was surreal. Um, you know, uh, I have a friend named Dante Shepard. We talk sports all the time. And they had this show called First Take, Your Take, where anybody can try to win an opportunity to debate Stephen A. Smith or Max Kellerman. And my friend, he didn't plan. He just made a quick video. and He was a finalist. 
and he called me. He said, look, man, if I was a finalist, you could get on a show. Like, like you, you could talk and you know sports. And I was like, man, I don't want to be on no show, and I, I'm not doing all that. So the same day I was driving, and a thought came to me about a topic, and the topic was who's going to uh, come out of the – who's going to be in the championship. And so I, I made my little talk, and I sent it in. Well, what happened was I sent in a day late. So, but people commented on Facebook, the, the first take Facebook page, like, like people I never, I didn't know, man, you were good. You should do it again. So I did it the next week and it was basically the same topic and I got selected as a finalist. So at 10 o'clock, they called me and said, you're going to go be on the show. So I'm nervous as I'll get out. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, I got a suit on and I promise you my t-shirt was soaking wet before we ever <laughs> got on the show. And uh, by the time the show was over, if, if I could have run, if I could have squeezed my shirt, it would have been a puddle of water on the ground. I mean, I was so nervous. I was sweating everywhere. But what I knew about Stephen A is that what he does is kind of a gimmick. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he, yeah he spoke at South Alabama, and the same friend, Dante Shepard, that got me on the show that told me about the show, he recorded Stephen A's speech, and he sent it to me. And I listened to it. I was like, wow, I didn't like this guy. I thought he was like an arrogant buffoon. But this guy realized that's his stick, and it works. So he plays that role. And he talked about how he was – I mean, he was very humble in the, in, the, in the talk. So when I got on before we were on the air, I talked to him about that. Wow. I said, man, I, I want to tell you, man, I admire that you realize that, you know, you found your, your, your little niche. And he was like, man, I really appreciate you saying that. And I quoted some of the things he said. He said, man, I really appreciate it. He said, but understand this, Willie Spears. You finna get this business in a few minutes. <laughs> he, said, he said, I appreciate your little compliments, but you finna get... And I said, no, 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 Stephen, listen to me. I gave you the compliment because what I'm about to do to you is not going to be very complimentary. <laughs> so, I mean, we was going at it, and Molly was like, guys, are you, what are y'all doing? We're not even on the show yet. And I said, Molly, you better get your boy because he don't know who he's dealing with. So we was going at it before we even got on the air. And so it's kind of like a fight. You know, if, you, if you're going to get in a fight, you might want to get your lick in first. Yeah. Cause you might get you might get beat up, you know. So I, I feel with Stephen A. I need to go at him hard. Cause once he gets the microphone, you it's over. Cause he's the greatest sports debater probably to ever live. Oh yeah, absolutely, you know? yeah. Yeah. And so I said I'm gonna hit him in the mouth right out in the gate. I'm gonna call him out. I'm gonna call out things he's messed up on, and I'm gonna just see what happens. And uh, and Molly started clapping like, "Oh, Willie, you got him!" And he was like, "Excuse me, excuse me, Molly." Are, are, are you really clapping for him? And I knew then, I said, okay, I may not win, but at least he know I was here. Wow. That's awesome. When, when was that? February, last February 2018, February oh. this year. It was uh, during the, right before the playoffs started. Okay. So uh, who won the debate? Well, you know, if you look, it had a, a, over a million views on Facebook, and almost everybody said I won. It's not biased. It's not my Little's League coach. It's not my elementary school teacher or my Sunday school teacher. People from all over the country said, man, you got him. And, and to be honest, a few people asked me to start a podcast or start a sports show with them because of that show. Oh, I bet. Yeah, oh, yeah. It makes makes you feel good, you know. You smile for a minute. You say, "Man, that was cool." But then you realize, you know, God has called me to coach, so I need to get back to doing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Hey, but if you can debate Stephen A, um, that's that's a true talent and gift. I can tell you that because anytime I ever watch that show, he just wears me out watching. Oh man, he's something else, man. I, and I pre- i mean, the fact that you're saying that and others have said it—it's kind of like you know you don't want to do it again because you may realize you're not as good as you think you are. Yeah. So oh one, yeah. One, one time's enough, and then you retire. Yeah. Take it and go. 
Yeah. Well, let's. Um, you've mentioned earlier on a little bit about faith and growing up in the church and being involved in SCA. So let's talk about faith for a moment. At what point, though, in your life did you go, you know what, I can't trust my church membership or my family's faith. I need a personal relationship with Jesus. I was about 15 years old. You know, I, and I, like I said, I've been in church my whole life. Like, literally, I cannot remember. Oh, I actually can. My first time missing church, I was in a baseball tournament, St. Petersburg, Florida. I was on an all-star team, and we went down there on the charter bus, and it was a Sunday. We had a Sunday game. And I remember asking my dad, are we not going to go to church? Huh. That was the first – I mean, I was like 11 or 12 years old, and my dad was like, well, no, you got a game this morning. And and I, mean, I, got, I have a whole – that's a soapbox for me with travel sports and, and church. Right. It's, it's one of my soapbox topics. But, I mean, I was – and I, I remember thinking, well, I'm a heathen. Like, like – this is not good, you know, and, and I wasn't mature enough to realize that my church attendance has nothing to do, you know, with my salvation. You know, I'm saved unto works. I'm not, I, I don't do so many of these checklist items and, and to receive salvation, but that was the first time I ever met. So when I was eight years old, I started teaching Sunday school hmm. because we, we didn't have any other teachers. The teachers wouldn't show up on time. My dad was a Sunday school superintendent, so he made me a teacher because I was going to be on time. And some of the stuff I was teaching, Stu, I didn't even believe in myself. Wow. And I was like, how in the world you take a boy lunch and feed 5,000 people plus women and children? That don't even make sense. And you, you can't walk on water. And how does a virgin have a baby? Like, so a lot of that stuff, I was like, whatever. But I would teach it with conviction. And I would, I would, I would make my presentation to the entire Sunday school. So I was this little preacher boy at eight years old. Well, when I got to, I was about 15, there were two gentlemen in the military, David Presley and Lorenzo Martin. They were Christians, they were single, and they were in the military, and they had swags, dude. Like, they they were so cool. I mean, their cars was cool, their shoes was cool. I had never met a Christian that was cool. Every Christian I knew, every man was old, had gray hair. You know, I was like, well, when you're 60 years old and you're married, I mean, it's easy to live like a Christian. So, I mean, when I'm 60, I'll get become a Christian also. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I saw these two guys— it made me want to be them. It let me know, you know what? I don't have to wait till I'm old to be a Christian. I can be a Christian and have fun. And I had never seen that before, you know? And so when I was 15 years old in my bedroom, I asked Christ to come into my heart. And uh, 240B Craft Avenue, i never forget it. And then that was Saturday night, we had our youth church. Every third Saturday, we had youth church. And I stood up in youth church, and I made a public confession of faith uh, that I had given my life to Christ. And it was, you know, it was a target on your back. Oh, because yeah. now, you know, everything you do, I thought you were saved. I thought you was a Christian. You supposed to be, you, you supposed to not like that music. You supposed to not look at that girl that way. You supposed to not joke about this. You know, so it wasn't easy. I, still not. I'm 41 years old now, and I'm still a work in progress. But at a young age, I knew, you know what? I, I knew what was right before that, but I didn't have the courage to to accept Christ. And uh, and those two men showed me that I could live for Christ and still uh, enjoy life. And I'm so glad God placed them in my life. And uh, and I've told them that since. But yeah, when I was 15 years old, I I started a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's been the greatest thing, of course, that I've ever done. That's awesome. And God's opened a lot of doors for you to to share your faith. You've talked a lot about why you coach, but also. You know, you've traveled all over the country um, as a speaker. What, when you go out and, and, and do these engagements, speaking engagements, what's kind of your central message that you, um, that you try to deliver when you're out there? Good question. Uh, and it's going to sound corny and cliche, but it's just love. 
That, that's that's my whole message. Like when I, when I talk to coaches, I say, guys, the days of cussing them out and going off on them and scaring them to do what you want them to do, that's over. This this doesn't work anymore. It's, it's kind of like you know, back in the day, nobody was lifting weights year round, and now if you're not, you're not going to be able to compete. So so it's things change, and the way that you coach has changed. So when I talk to coaches, I say, guys, you got to love these guys. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Amen. They got to know that you love them. And you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be, oh, I love you, Johnny. Now run run trap for us. It's not like that. But they're going to know you love them by what you do when you show them. If you drive by on your pickup, on, they're walking home every day. They're walking a mile home every day. And every day you drive by them and don't offer them a ride, they know you don't love them. <laughs> you know, but if you say, hey, Johnny, you need a ride? He may say, no, I'm good, coach, but he knows you care about him, not just as an athlete. Mm. And so my central message when I talk to schools, when I talk to churches, I talk to businesses. I, last year, we spent a lot of time with State Farm, speaking to a lot of their sales agents, and, and I told them the same thing. I said, when somebody goes through a tragedy, they want to pick up the phone. I said, your, your, your insurance agent is going to be one of the first three people you call when you go through tragedy. And they need to know that my insurance agent loves me. Not because I pay my premium, because we have a relationship that's bigger than this business relationship. And so everywhere I go, I, I share the message of love. And I believe that's how you draw people to Christ. Amen. Not by beating them over the head with the Bible or telling them you're a sinner, you're going to hell. Like, I, I was speaking in a prison once. And there was a guy, he was homosexual. And he hugged me. And, uh, and I made sure that I hugged him extra hard. I want him to know I'm not homophobic. I'm not judging you. And it was very obvious that he was very feminine. And I hugged him and I squeezed him. And he whispered in my ear. He said, hey, man, I don't want to be like this when I go home. I don't want my mother to see me this way. Wow. Would you pray Would you pray with me? I said, man, I'm just as jacked. I'm worse off than you, bro. I'm worse than you. I said, I'm definitely going to pray for you, but I want you to pray for me. And I've learned a long time ago that you reach people through love. And uh, I see a lot of evangelicals or whatever you want to call them, preachers, I, I mean, whoever you want to call them. And sometimes I think our approach pushes people away where Jesus drew people in, you know. And uh, so my message everywhere I go, I try to preach the message of love. Man, that's powerful. Wow. There's a whole nother episode just on that topic right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's something that I've really been um, studying, been convicted about or just for the last few years is um is that you know at the end of the day love never fails whether right. it's, it, whether it's at home or if it's out in the community if we just love people god's going to open the doors for us to then share the gospel um through our words and actions it's just but you know that one word is so powerful it seems so easy to say i'll oh, just love everybody but man yep. there, there's a lot of people you know, yeah, and I'm, the, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I really thought 10 years ago, if you would have asked me, Willie, is there someone you can't love? I would have told you, no way. I mean, I, I love the KKK. I love somebody that tried to shoot me. I love somebody. I mean, I, I love everybody. I don't care what your race is, religion. I, and then I've gone through some things in my life. And I had to say, Lord, help me to love these people. Mm. You know, it's easy to talk it. But when somebody does you wrong, somebody lies on you, somebody tries to hurt your family or hurt your name and, and, and they have no remorse. I found out, you know what? It's not as easy as I thought it was to love everybody. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. So it, 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 I definitely haven't conquered it, but I know love covers a multitude of sin and I know love is the answer. Even if I don't, uh, um, even if I don't walk it out, 
and, and, and I don't live it like I say I should, I know the answer is love. I may not want to admit it. I may not want to walk in it. I may not want to swallow my pride, but I know the answer is love. And if it wasn't for that love, then there's nowhere in the world that Christ could even be any part of my life because he had to love me to do what he did for me. Amen. Wow. That, that sums it up right there. The greatest example of love. <laughs> Amen. You know, so that's wow. It's kind of hard to continue on now after that. That's a that's, that's a good one there. So that was a good question. Yeah. So you also um, not just speaker coach, but you've recently re, um, released a book. Um, what's the name of your book? And just share just briefly just that journey to write a book. Well, I think everyone has a book in them. I think every mm-hmm. human being on the earth has a book inside them. Maybe fiction, maybe nonfiction, maybe a leadership book, maybe a, a spiritual book. It may be uh, just a book of jokes, but everyone has a book in them. And I encourage anyone to write a book. It's such a feeling of accomplishment when you, when you finish that process. But uh, the book is called Culture Creators, um, Creating Culture for Your Business or Organization or Team. And the most exciting thing for me is that Charlie Ward wrote the foreword to the book. Wow. Yeah, so you, so you got this guy that's arguably one of the greatest athletes to ever live who who uh, who I've become good friends with. He's read my other books and would always ask me, when are you going to write another book? And then when I told him about Culture Creators and I asked him to do the forward, he's like, man, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Just let me know who I need to send it to and when does it do. And so that's a pretty exciting part of the journey. Um, what I do to write the book is I sit down for at least one hour every day. That's the goal. Sometimes you make six days out of seven. Sometimes you make four days out of seven. But I try to sit down every day for one hour, and I just dump information on paper. I don't try to write correctly. I don't try to um, use a correct pronunciation or, I mean, a a, a correct um, uh, subject and predicate and and all that verb and agreeing. Mm -hmm. That's not my gift. My gift is storytelling. And so... I tell the story and then I go back and I fix it up as best I can. And then I give it to someone that's an editor. That's what they do for a living, you know, and they make the writing better. They take my story and they, they do a better job of telling it of to do proper English mechanics. And so uh, it's been fun. Uh, I've I really enjoyed it. The book is about changing culture and your family uh, and your business and your team. And when you look at successful teams, what they've done is they created a culture, a winning culture. And uh, I talk about how to do that, how to assess the culture that you're in, uh, how to gauge where you're at, where you're at. We believe what gets measured gets done. And so how do you measure your culture? Uh, and then on top of that, how do you know you're doing a good job with the culture that you have? Because everyone has a culture. It may be good. It may be bad. But everyone has some type of culture. And the people that walk into your business or that monitor your business or live inside the organization, once you – if there's questions in the book that you can ask, once you ask these questions, you know everything you need to know about your culture. And sometimes it's, harm, it's harmful. It's hurtful because you realize, wow, I thought we was this, but we're really here. And, and the analogy I give in the book is you can't say I'm losing weight if you never weigh yourself. Hmm. So it's easy to say, you know what? I feel good. I'm losing weight. You say, how much you weigh? Well, I don't weigh myself. I can just feel it. You know, I just, my clothes are looser. No, you have to get on the scale and find out where you're at. And so it's the same with culture. You have to have a, a way of measuring your culture or you can lie to yourself and say, we have a great culture here. And then when tragedy strikes, like what happened at the University of Maryland, 
what happened at Penn State a few years ago, uh, what happened uh, in a lot of universities. People wonder, how do we get here? I could, I, I, in the book, we have a quote. The quote says, if I see rat droppings, if I see the droppings from a mouse or a rat, I don't need to see the rat. The droppings tell me that there's a rat here. Hmm. And so when I go in your business and people are rude, people are disrespectful, it tells me a lot about the leadership. If I go in your doctor's office, if I go in McDonald's, if I go in Chick-fil-A, it tells me a lot about who's running the place. Mm-hmm. I, I could be there 10 minutes, and, and it tell me everything I need to know about the leadership and about the culture. And so the book helps us all improve, and, and hopefully in every area of our life when it comes to culture. That's good. That's very good. So I have to ask you this question. So how do you balance um, the demands of being an athletic director and coach or speaking? Um, how do you balance that with being a husband and a dad? Man, that's a great question. I, uh, uh, you remember the guy that used to coach at Colorado back in the day, uh, won a national championship. He started Promise Keepers. Bill McCartney. Bill McCartney. Yeah. I, I, I love Bill McCartney. Bill McCartney, he was at a uh, church once. He grew up Catholic. And he grew up Catholic. He was at his church. Uh, a guy named uh, Chuck Heater played at Michigan he was a uh, McCartney was an assistant at Michigan. Chuck Heater, who's now a coach at Marshall, was at Florida. He's been everywhere. Chuck was a player and invited him to church every week. Come to church with me, coach. People were like, ah, I may come, I may come. So he finally went with him. And in that church service, the preacher said, write down how much you spend, write down what's your priorities in order. So he wrote my family first, you know, my faith, you know, and, and, and then football. And so then the guy said, write down how much time you spend with each of those. Wow. And he, he did an inventory. And so what he realized was, he says it, priority is his family first, and then his faith. But the truth was, it was football first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. And then what was left, his faith got a little bit, his family got a little bit. So what I learned is you have to prioritize our schedule. And, and uh, we don't need to prioritize our schedule. We need to schedule our priorities. Wow. So what I do is I schedule what's important to me. Amen. Because if not, all I would do is football. So, so faith-wise, this is what I do. We have a coach's Bible study. I have Wednesday night Bible study in the off-season uh, at my church. And I go to church every Sunday, and we have FCA every week. So that's four times a week that I'm going to be in a setting where the word is being shared. Now, truthfully, sometimes I'm in there, and my, my mind is on how we're going to stop Buck Sweep. My mind is on these guys are really good at, at, uh, uh, at man-beater routes, at picking us. How are we going to stop it? So the truth is I'm in the setting, but my mind is somewhere else. But it's better that I be in the setting than not be in that setting. Absolutely. So your question was about family. So this is what I do with my family. We sit down in January every year, and we try to fast from something. Like my wife may say, I'm giving up coffee for 40 days. I may say, you know, I'm, uh, I think I gave up sweet tea one time or I gave up uh, one of my favorite shows or something like that. Our kids give up video games. My daughter gave up ice cream, which is, if you knew my daughter, that would be a miracle in itself. <laughs> so we sit down in January on uh, New Year's Eve night on our bed and we write down things to pray about. We read some scripture. We do, we've been doing this for like maybe seven years. And then we write our calendar out for the whole year. And the first week of July, every year, we go to St. Simon's Island FCA camp for family vacation. So that's one week we're going to be together every year. And then we try to schedule one more vacation, like a, if we can afford it, a cruise or go to Disney or go to Universal or something like that. And then we knock out one thing a month 
that we are going to do as a family. Then my wife and I go on two vacations a year, just us two. If we can't afford it, we'll just drive out. We'll borrow somebody's place or we'll, whatever we got to do to get away. Just us two twice a year. And then, uh, and this has been really, really good for us, make sure that we eat together as a family three nights a week. Wow, that's hard. Oh, it's very hard. But if the goal is three, we definitely get two. Yeah. But because Sunday we'll get one. We, we make a Sunday we make ourselves get together on Sunday, and then sometimes Saturday morning breakfast, and then one night. But and it's really difficult. But what I learned a long time ago, and this is an indictment. I've been married 15 years, and when we lose a football game, I do everything in my power to figure out why we lost, how can we fix this so it doesn't happen again. Right. I, I didn't have that same diligence in my family. Wow. And my family, if there was a problem, I'll say, Lord, fix it in Jesus' name, amen, and I'll move on. Right. And 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 I, my wife said, I wish you would attack our family issues the same way you attacked your football issues. Ouch. And I went from 5'10 to 3 foot tall. Ah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And because she knows, like, I, and this is not bragging, but I've been coach of the year a few times because I, I just, I'm going to outwork you. I'm not smarter than you. I'm not better looking. I'm not more charismatic, but I'm going to outwork you. Like, while you're watching sports, then I'm going to be working. While you're sleeping, I'm going to be, while you're fishing or golfing or hunting, I don't, I don't do those things. I'm going to be working. So my wife was like, well, why don't you work on us that hard? Why don't you work on our marriage that hard? Why don't you work on our family that hard? Why don't you work on your teenage son that hard? Why don't you work on your teenage daughter that hard? And, and I did it faith-wise the truth is that I was worried about what people may say. Like we was always in church and our kids memorized scripture and all that. But she was saying, be intentional with us like you're intentional with third and ten. And, uh, man, it, it rocked me. It hey. hurt. Hey, Coach. Hey, Coach, I think I'm feeling about three foot tall right now. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's, that's, uh, that's a powerful um powerful way to look at it and very convicting because I think is especially as men you know we attack um a lot of things with a passion whether it's our business or you're involved in ministry or whatever but when it comes to home I think you're right I think that's something that that most men struggle with and I'm just sitting here just really uh, uh, trying to think of things to say because it kind of hit me at the knees. I felt like a chop block just got me because I'm just, I'm, yeah, feel, yeah. I'm feeling convicted personally that I'm, I'm just sitting there. I've got a sheet of paper. I'm writing down notes about what you do on New Year's Eve and um, the eating together, just the little things. And then what your wife said about, you know, attacking the family, like you would attack the opponent. And I'm just sitting there going, man, I, I'm, I'm struggling in that. That's, well, that's and good. Let me, and let me tell you what helps my wife. FCA camp. Yeah. I mean, because you get around other like-minded women right. that got these crazy, high-strung coaches who who act so confident but are so insecure uh. that they need a win to justify their existence. And you get in a room together, and you're like, I got a big crybaby at home, too, that acts tough in the public life. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. And so, and so, they, so it, helped, it gave her a boldness that she could call me out. Yeah. You know, and I don't allow everybody that space, you know, and, and so she, I mean, man, we, we was at a conference one time and uh, they said you should touch your spouse 12 times a day, um, non-sexually. And I was counseling a couple 
and telling them to do that. And my wife was in there, and she, when they left, she was like, you're such a hypocrite. Wow. I, I'm like, what do you mean? So like, you don't touch me 12 times a day non-sexually. I was like, well, baby, that's for them. They really need that. She's like, oh, so we don't need that? Wow. And so the, the fact that we know we don't have it all together, the fact that we know that Satan wants us to be divorced, Satan doesn't want my football players to see a man married to his wife and loving her and loving their kids. Since Satan, Satan is attacking us. Like, he's a defensive coordinator and we're on offense. Yep. Like, he's saying, what can I do to break this up? Because they're not as good as they appear to be. Everybody thinks they're so this and that. They're not. So what can I do to make sure that this breaks up? And so what we have to do, we have to be intentional about prioritizing what we say our priorities are. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we don't, we'll end up waking up one day and we haven't gone on vacation in forever. We haven't gone on date night in forever. We haven't been intimate in forever. And it'd be just business as usual. Get the kids, go to the doctor, go to the dentist, go to the optometrist, blah, blah, blah. And it'll be a checklist and you end up being roommates. And then Satan is over there saying, yes, we got them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, I'm a big believer along with, you know, a lot of other, I mean, I didn't make this up. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say this. If if Satan can destroy the family, then then he's won. Right, and, and that's what's wrong with our world today. People always ask me, Coach, what do you think is wrong? Well, the family is the foundation of everything, and it's, it's now in our country. I have good young men that ask me, Coach, why do I need to get married? Mm-hmm. I mean, these, are, these aren't thugs. These aren't bad students. These aren't kids on drugs. These are good kids right. who honestly don't understand. Like, Coach, like, why? I'm a nice person. If, I, if she's a nice person, like, why do we have to go through a ceremony and get a little sheet of paper? Right. You know, and when the Bible is not your guide, then you can make up your own uh, 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 truth. That's you, right. you decide what's good and what's not good. And, and so when you don't have that foundation, it's easy because there are a lot of good people who don't believe in the structure of what we believe a uh, 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 family should be. That's right. That's right. You know, I'm talking about good people, like not, I'm talking about, I mean, like really good, like we'll oh, give yeah. you the last dime people, like oh, good yeah. people. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. You know, we've covered a lot in this episode. And I know when I sent you the outline, there were some more questions on there, but I, I just, I'm, I just feel like we've, um, this is a good place to, to kind of put a bow on this package and, and, and wrap it up. Cause I, I just think what you just said, um, about culture and about family is, is is just so powerful that I you know I don't want to lose that lose that message with with more questions. So I'm going to ask you one more. Um, what do you have a life verse or maybe a, a, a scripture that God is is using in your life right now that you would share with listeners? Oh yes, uh, I have a few on the way to school this morning. Uh, when I take them to school, the kids read the 23rd and 100th Psalm. And um, and I read the 91st Psalm. So the 91st Psalm is, is, is like my life version. You know, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide on the shower of the Almighty. Just to know that I'm that close to God and, 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 and I have that freedom to be there. So I love the 91st number of the Psalm. But Colossians 3.23, it says, Do everything unto God with all your heart, not to man. That verse, it was an FCA theme verse one year. And they have a different one each year. But that year, that verse has stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And one of my best friends, Stacy Stewart, um, he we coached together in Georgia. He now lives in Fort Myers, Florida. He uh or Naples, Florida. He he used that verse with his team. When he, he coached receivers, I coached DBs, and he would always break it down on three twenty-three. 
like all the time. He would talk to his players. He would finish with 323. And and I, when I I knew the verse already, but he was so intentional about always bringing it up that it became my life verse. Like I'm not working hard for the superintendent. I'm not working hard for for the principal. I'm not working hard for my wife, my kids, my parents. I'm working hard because God is always watching. Amen. You know, and, and, and a guy that taught me the, the coach the way I got in, Richie Marsh, he, I call him Jesus Christ with a hat and whistle. I mean, I really think if Jesus Christ was a football coach, he, he would coach just like Richie Marsh because Richie Marsh coached like him. And so Richie Marsh, one day was at practice, and we was at, it was a morning workout, like 6 in the morning, like a like mat drill type practice, but it was outside. And I had my hands in my pocket because it was freezing. I had my hands in my pocket, and he ran by me, and he said, I wondered if the University of Miami was at practice today, would you have your hands in your pocket? Wow. And he was saying that because we had a big-time recruit that ended up playing the NFL, and whenever the big recruiters would come in, all the coaches would do a great job of coaching. Ah. We, had this, we had this great energy, and we were oh, bouncing yeah. around. And, but then when nobody was there, or the small school was there, we would kind of go through the motions. Uh-huh. And, and, and he called me out. And, and what I realized is, you know what? Forget the University of Miami. Forget Alabama. Jesus is watching. Amen. Like, like, it's an audience of one. So whenever I'm coaching, whenever I'm sweeping the weight room, whenever I'm cleaning the toilets in the bathroom, whenever I'm driving, like, Jesus is there. And so I need to work hard because the boss is watching. And that verse, Colossians 3.23, do everything as unto God. Some some versions say wholeheartedly or with all mm. your heart uh, and not unto man. And so that right there changed my way of thinking. It, 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 and then I'm going to tell you this, I don't always get it right. I, I catch myself being lazy. I catch myself doing something I shouldn't do. And I say, man, do you know who's in the audience? Do you know Jesus is in the stands and he's watching you? And it's like, man, I got to do better. So I thank God for the opportunity to repent daily. And, uh, and, and that God loves me despite my shortcomings. But Colossians 3.23, that's the verse that I'm dealing with right now, and it's my life verse. And what if we all approached every day with that same passion, and goal that if we just everything we did, if we really believed and lived like we believed that there's that audience of one. I mean, what a difference we can make if because I know I'm guilty. You know, I got oh, my man. I'm not a coach out on the out on the field, but I can tell I got my hands in my pocket a lot. Um, yes, sir. You know, but when the big boss is walking around, you know, my desk is is clean, my hands out of my pocket. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think we're all yeah. guilty, and I think we can say the same and even in ministry and church. You know, um, we can get so stagnant that we forget why we're doing it. Man, that's good. Yeah. Well, well I, I, I'm, a, I'm a work in progress. I need your prayers, uh, as you can tell. And uh, I'm, I'm honored, man, to be on your show. And, uh, and you've helped me remind myself of the things I say I stand for through this interview. So I awesome. really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate your time. Well, it's, it's, it's time well spent, man. I'm, I've listened to some of the podcasts, and now to be one of those in line with all those great interviews, man, it's truly an honor. Awesome. Thank you. Wow. I don't even really know where to start on the conclusion. We covered a lot. Um, I just want to thank Coach Spears again for taking time of his busy schedule um, to share his story, to encourage us. I have a um, front and back page of notes that I took during our conversation um, about priorities, about always prioritizing our schedule, about balancing life with our family, our uh, 
fasting for 40 days at the beginning of the year, um, sitting down on New Year's Eve, reading Scripture, discussing the calendar for the next year, and planning it out the best we can, eating together at least three times a week. So much to learn. But his last um, comment about his favorite verse, Colossians 3.23, and that we're to do everything as if we're doing it for the Lord. That Jesus is always watching. There's that audience of one. The story he told about um, when college recruiters would come to their practices, if it was a big name college, how the coaches would always be um, more enthusiastic, more engaged. But if there was no recruiters there or not, or a lesser known college, he kind of walk around a little bit more relaxed. And, and, and one time he had his hands in his pocket and the head coach asked him, coach, why you got your hands in your pocket? And just is a reminder that it doesn't matter what's going on, what we're doing, whether we're in the spotlight or behind the scenes, that we are working as an, for an audience of one, and that's Jesus Christ. And everything we do needs to be done with that in mind. That's what it means to be all in. It doesn't matter whether we're doing laundry as a coach or out there on game day or we're at if I'm at the office, whether I'm giving a presentation or I'm at my desk, I need to be doing it the same. And that's with the audience of one that Jesus Christ is always watching. I ask you to please, please share this episode with as many family and friends as you can. I know there's so much in here that I didn't even mention in the, in the conclusion. But there's so, so many takeaways and so many people that need to hear this story, hear this message. And it's through you sharing it with others, you leaving reviews on iTunes that we get this greater platform to further share the good news of Jesus through media. And the last thing is always, we love hearing from you. You can visit our Facebook page, All In Sports Outreach, or our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. And it's there that you can send us a message. You can find out ways to, to pray for us, opportunities to serve with us, and also opportunities to give. We thank you, and again, share this episode with as many family and friends, and until next time.